Hebrews chapter 12, I want to look at the first, uh, the first verse and a little bit of the second verse. And there's four real good lessons that are taught right here for us. And I hope it'll be a blessing to you. I hope it will be. The writer describes our life as a race. Uh, I admire folks that uh, are runners that can run uh, uh, marathons. Uh, we've had several among us here. Uh, Elder Aquino, uh, uh, Kirk Saberg, uh, Danny Epen. Uh, there were several that uh, were able to run that 26-mile marathon and finish. And that's uh, one of the things that's emphasized in this lesson right here is the importance of running the race. But it also talks about not only the importance of running the race, but finishing the course. And also it talks about not getting discouraged along the way in the race. Now, I'm not a real good runner. I can run a little bit, but not a lot. And when I'm trying to run, I can think about all the other things that I'd rather be doing than running the race. Uh, Jared, I think you're quite a runner from what I understand, and uh, Grace, and uh, I'm sure I'm missing some folks here. But one of the things that uh, is common uh, with runners is that they have to stay focused in the race. And so the writer here describes our life, our life, as a race. And then he gives us right here in this first and second verse four things that will help us in running the race. Let's look at what he says right here. And this is right on the heels of uh, great instruction in chapter 11. We'll reference that a little bit as well. He says, wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great, and I think it's interesting the way he describes it here, with so great a cloud of witnesses. So he describes it as a large group that's all around us. And he's going to give us four things right here that will help us in running this race. Number one, he says that we are encompassed about that we have all around us this tremendous cloud of witnesses. And we'll look at that here in just a minute. And the second thing that he says that's important in running this race, he says, and in running the race, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. And you may have Heard folks talk about a besetting sin, a particular sin, but it could be any sin or all sin. But he says right here that as we are engaged in this race, that if we embrace this sin or besetting sin, that it's going to hinder us in the race. And he tells us about some of these things that hinder us in the race. Then he says... He says, number one, that we have a great cloud of witnesses. Number two, that we're to lay some things aside while we're running the race. 
And number three, he says something here that that's a little bit uh, strange, it seems like. He says, you have a great cloud of witnesses. He said, lay aside anything that hinders you along the way. And then he says, and then run the race with patience. Now, that just sounds like that would uh, contradict to run a race with patience. Maybe we can look at that and see what he's talking about when he says running the race with patience. And then he, he sums it up in the capstone to all of it. When you've done all of this, when you've, when you've looked at the cloud of witnesses, when you lay aside the sin that easily besets you, when you lay aside the things that would slow you down, when you've run the race with patience, and I think that means steadfast and with persistence along the way, you don't start off and use all of your energy and use it up and then get tired along the way. But you realize that this race, this walk, this journey is from beginning to the end. That the Lord is the one that establishes the, the starting place. And the Lord is the one that establishes the stopping place. And so as we run this race, we need to realize that we're in it for the long haul from the beginning all the way to the end. And then he says, on top of all of that, in running the race, when you get discouraged along the way, when you run into some roadblocks or some hindrances along the way, he says, there's one thing that you can do that will keep you continuing in this race all the way to the finish line. And he says, that is that you look unto Jesus. Now, let's start back in Hebrews chapter one and I mean, chapter 11 here. And he says he talks about a whole group of folks right here in chapter 11. And he highlights these individual folks in chapter 11. And keep in mind, as we look at these individuals, that the purpose of us going back and looking at the individuals is to be encouraged by their life. And so this is that great cloud of witnesses. This is that first uh, reference point that he makes right here. Number one, the great cloud of witnesses. Number two, laying aside any hindrances along the way. Number three, running the race with patience. And number four, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So let's look at number one for just a minute. He says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Brother Don Richards said that when he was uh, signed up for football in his uh, high school football class, that uh, his uh, his coach told all of the all of the folks, all of the teammates, all of the team players right there. They said, you need to have faith that you're going to win. You need to have faith. And he told him, he says, and if you don't have faith, you better go home and get some faith. And you better come back with some faith. Well, that's not how you get faith. Faith is a gift from God. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit of God. 
If you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, part of that package that God gives you right there is He gives you a measure of faith. So if you're a child of God, you have faith, you have access to faith, you have faith, and you can exercise the faith that God gives you. You can't go out and get faith. That's something that God gives you. But you can take the faith that God gives you and you can exercise that faith. It's like... Using It's like exercising a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it's going to get. The more you use it, the more it's going to help you when you get in a bind. And you can add to that faith, but you can't go get faith. God has to give you that faith. Now he tells us what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Why do you hope for heaven? You haven't been there. You haven't talked to anybody that's been there. But yet you believe there's a heaven. How is it you believe it? It's called faith. It's, it, it, it's called, it's, it's what God puts in your heart. It's called here, the substance. You know what it is because you have it. He describes it as the substance of things hoped for. Two things that he says right here. He says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And he says, also, faith is the evidence of things not seen. Now, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter one, it can be challenged. It can be uh, tested along the way. But when it just simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you believe that? You weren't here To see it with your own eyes. But yet when you read that. You believe it. You can can bear witness to it. And you can embrace it. Because of faith. It is the substance. Of things hoped for. It is the evidence. Of things not seen. Do you know what? When we get to heaven. We're not going to need faith anymore. But while we're here. It is vital for the child of God to have faith. It is. And it'll help us. The purpose of God's faith is to glorify him. But it's really to help us along the way. It helps us get down the road. It helps us not be overcome and it helps us to not be discouraged along the way. He says, for faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. He says, through faith, verse 3, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And the things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. He's saying it's, it's simply by faith that you believe in creation. Uh, not everybody embraces that. Not everybody believes in that. That doesn't make it not so. But if you do believe in it, if you do embrace it, if you do believe that in the beginning God That's an evidence that God has given you faith. And then he comes down and he just he just touches on. He highlights all of these individuals that that lived by faith. And he 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 emphasizes some of the important benchmarks or or uh, uh, high points in their life. And he says the way that they accomplished those things is because God gave them faith. 
Now, the same way that you overcome is because God gives you faith. But then he gives us this great cloud of witnesses. I'm just going to touch on a few right here. And so the writer tells us right here that the way that these individuals persevered, overcame, made it to the end as overcomers that were rejoicing in the most difficult of times was because God blessed them with faith and they leaned on their faith and they lived by their faith. He actually says right here, without faith, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He says it's impossible. Amen. It takes the faith that God gives you to please God, to serve him. You see, God wants you and I to lean on Him. He doesn't want us leaning on ourselves. He doesn't want us leaning on somebody else or other accomplishments along the way. He wants us to lean on Him. And sometimes He allows things to come up in our life to remind us that we don't have the strength in and of ourselves, but that our only strength and our only deliverance and our only hope is in Christ. And so He says right here, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, God's given you faith to serve him so you can honor him and you can please God by exercising the faith that you have. I'm going to touch on a few right here. Just a few. Number one, he mentions Noah. He says, Noah was warned of God of things not as seen yet, yet moved with fear. And Noah built an ark. It says he prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which he commanded, uh, which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. He just simply says right here that Noah, that Noah had a substance of, uh, of things hoped for and an evidence of things not seen. Noah couldn't probably explain all that was going to take place in the flood, but Noah was impressed by God to build an ark. I expect as Noah was building the ark, I, I haven't seen it. Some of you have gone there. Others have, have sent pictures. I think Brother David's mother went there to see a, a, a replica of the ark. I believe it's in Kentucky or Ohio. And, and I think that'd be pretty outstanding. I, I've seen pictures of it, and it's massive. But can you imagine Noah when he started building the ark? I'm sure there were a lot of folks that came along the way and tried to discourage Noah. Oh, yeah. Probably said, Noah, what in the world are you up to? You're not going to need anything like this. I imagine they probably thought Noah had kind of lost his marbles just a little bit. I imagine they probably tried to talk him out of it. I imagine they probably tried to discourage him along the way. But when God had put it on his heart and convicted him, Noah knew that it was the right thing to do. And he kept building that ark. And I'm sure when it started raining, he was really glad that he did. Well... Scripture says that Noah built that ark and it was because God had blessed him with the faith to do it. He goes on down and he talks about, I'm just going to hit a couple of them here, but he talks about Abraham went out into a land that God had called him to go to. Place that he went, not knowing whither he went, but he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. It says that he went to an area that God had had uh, he, that he didn't know where he was going. 
It also says that Sarah, when she was of old age, I think she was about 90 years old and Abraham was about 100, that she conceived and was born with child. It also talks about Abraham and offering his son Isaac. And you, you know the story of Abraham going up to offer his son and, and binding his son. And, and it looked like that he was going to slay his son. And yet God made a way of escape. And, and his own father was going to sacrifice his son as a result of following through faith. Almighty God. He talks about Jacob and Isaac and Joseph and he talks about Moses and and you can remember the, the, the mother of Moses, how that she took Moses as he was a little babe and put him in a little uh, brush basket there into the, the river and not knowing what would take place of him. She knew that that all the other children were to be slain. All the other young uh, male boys, uh, infants were being slain and yet God spared Moses and and God worked it out in such a way that that not only uh, did he spare the life of Moses, but uh, when Pharaoh's daughter found him and took him, she says, we need to go get a nurse to help take care of this child. And it just so happened that when they went and found the nurse, that it ended up that it was the mother of Moses. And she not only got to take care of her son, but she got paid to do it. What a great blessing that she got to take care of him right there. That didn't just happen. I believe that God was working behind the scenes and God oftentimes works behind the scenes in our life and we don't even realize it or we don't even see it. That's why the the old songwriter says there is an unseen hand that guides us through this weary land. I believe that there is a guiding hand that leads us and guides us along the way. And truly Abraham recognized that Moses, the mother of Moses, recognized it as well. But it says, and it just sort of, it's interesting how that as you read the scriptures, how that you'll be following along in an expository way. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of it, there's just something plugged in there that doesn't seem like it hardly even relates to the whole chapter. And I think, wonder why they put it there. I mean, why didn't they put it somewhere else? But, but I'm glad they didn't consult me on that because there's a purpose in it. As they're journeying along and suffering and, and experiencing these challenges, he just simply says that this little group of followers right here that, 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 that are qualified to be this great cloud of witnesses, that while they were on this journey, while they were in this race, he said they realized that in this race. They realized that they were pilgrims and strangers and they were looking for a better country. They were looking for a better city. So it's okay in this race that we're engaged in to realize it's okay to look toward the finish line. It really is. And it's okay to look for what happens after the finish line. Now we realize that we're not running this race in order to obtain uh, heaven itself. We're running this race and the, uh, the necessity of running this race the way God would have us to run it. Uh, number one is that it honors the Lord. The Lord has given us the life that we have, the years that we have, and we are to use it to his glory. Number two, it's to help us, to benefit us along the way as we run this race. And number three, that is so very important right here, is that when it's referring back to this great cloud of witnesses, you yourself right now are a witness for Christ. We're not going to be here ever. If the Lord tarries, there will be those that look back upon our lives at some point, and hopefully they'll say, 
That was a faithful witness. It was. So let's let's look at. Um, just going to touch on a couple more. It's it, it's. Um, he highlights throughout all of this chapter 11, Brother George Johnson, my dear pastor, used to say, I'm going to give you some homework. And, and he just simply mean go home and read this. We're not going to touch on all this, but I'm just going to encourage you to go home and read chapter 11 of chapter, uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews. You'll get a great blessing out of it because you'll be encouraged by all of those individuals that the writer refers to as the great cloud of witnesses. Now, I want to take it a little bit further, and I don't think I'm out of bounds in doing this. The scripture refers to these in chapter 11 as the great cloud of witnesses. But did you know that God blesses us in our lives to meet individuals that come across our path that serve as a great cloud of witnesses? He does. My pastor elder George Johnson made a tremendous impact uh, on my life. And oftentimes when things come up, he's now with the Lord. But when things come up, I'll, I'll think, wonder what brother George would do in this situation. Wonder what he would do for brother Afton Richards or elder Compton. Elder Compton, many of you knew he was blessed. He and his wife were blessed with almost 77 years of marriage. He realized that it was a blessing from God. And in the very end, he said, he said, I, I, I struggled when my wife passed away. We've been married 76 years. And he said, I had a real hard time. I had a real difficult time with it. I had a hard time with recon reconciliation. He said, until all of a sudden, he said, the Lord put it on my heart that my wife was a gift from God and that it was the, the 76 plus years was the fulfillment or the end of a great blessing from God. And he said, I was reminded that a blessing is not something I'm, that I earn. It's not something I deserve, but it's a gift from God. And he said, once I realized that my wife of 76 years was a gift from God. And it was the fulfillment of a wonderful blessing. He said, all of a sudden, I felt reconciled. We've been blessed by faithful witnesses. My mother's here and she'll remember this, but my grandfather, her dad, and uh, my grandmother that he married after my grandmother passed away. On Sunday afternoons, they, they were real old and real feeble, but they'd spend their Sunday afternoons going around and visiting the sick. And I mean, you just gasp when they go up and down stairs because they were so feeble. And sometimes, sometimes uh, grandmother would fall down the steps and granddad would be holding on to her and he'd go down as well. And they'd both end up on top of each other. And then folks would just come get them up and brush them off and they'd go on their way. But we used to joke about it that they would go and visit folks that were in a lot better shape than they were in. But they had a heart to do it. They did. Think of Sister Perry. Sister Perry lived to be 104, and God, I think the reason that God kept her here so long at 104, I think, I felt like it was for me, but I think it's probably for you all as well, that God blessed her to be an inspiration to all of us by her life. She was always 
this is the verse I think of, of when I think of Sister Perry. I think of a whole lot, but here's what I think of. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. She lived by that verse. You didn't hear her going around saying it, but she lived by it. 104 years of age and just praise God all the way. She had a she she had a lot of surgeries and as a result lost a lot of parts and one of the last one was her her leg that she uh, that she missed. In fact, uh, 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 it's been a long time since I've shared this story and maybe some of you here that haven't heard this story. But she said that uh, she said one day she said I was I was getting ready to go to bed and she said I. And she's up in her 90s when this happened. And she had this artificial leg, this prosthesis that she carried around with her all the time. She said, I was getting ready to go to bed. And she says, I, I took my, my glasses off and I laid them up on the dresser. And she says, I took my hearing aids out and I, I laid them up on the dresser. She says, I took my teeth out and I put my teeth up on the dresser. She mentioned a couple of other parts. And then she says, and then I took my leg off and I put my leg up on the dresser. And she says, I looked up on the dresser and I thought... I I might as well just crawl up on the dresser because there's more of me up there than there is to get in bed. Well, that's how she faced all the challenges of old age. She made the very best of it. I remember one day I went to pick her up and she had worn out her artificial leg. Uh, I think she'd gone through two or three of them and this was maybe her third one. And I went to pick her up for church and as I, as I pulled up to pick her up, she says, right before you came in to get me, she said, I looked down and she said, I don't like this new leg. It doesn't fit right. She says, it's too big. It doesn't, it's not adjusted right. She said, I looked down and she said, my foot had turned all the way backwards. And she says, I knew that before you came in, I'd have to straighten it or you wouldn't know if I was coming or going. Well, now that's a great way to face old age. She could have said, you know what? I think I'm going to stay home today because I don't have a leg or other things. And yet she came and was an inspiration to the Lord's people, a faithful witness. God blesses us with faithful witnesses along the way. So when we're running that race, as we're thinking about things along the way, we can start thinking about those faithful witnesses. And I tell you what, that's going to encourage you along the way. You'll think about godly folks that God's put in your path, and that's going to help you as you persevere in this race. Then he says... That we're to put aside some things. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. So I can remember Brother Afton Richards talking about this. And he said that when his sons were training for track, that they would, uh, as they were training, they would put on these, uh, these ankle weights. They would put these weights around their ankle and they would go and they would practice and they'd run. But then when the, uh, the official match came, they would remove those weights and then they would get just as lean as they could. And then they could run the race much better, much faster and, and persevere much longer without those weights there. And that's what he says right here. He says, as we're running this race, we're to get just as lean as we can. And put some things aside. And here's here's a good reference point. Colossians chapter 3. He says in chapter 3, here's some things that will slow us down in running the race. Might even cause us to stop along the way. Might even cause us to look back. Have you ever 
Have you ever uh, run a race and you turn around and you look back? You almost fall down. Uh, my mother was telling me that this week uh, she and my stepfather were were coming up 543. And you may have heard about the, the man that... Uh, it caused an accident on 543 by the school in Cresswell, and, and they came right up on the scene as the accident happened, and, and they said, my stepfather said that they saw the, uh, the man take off that caused the wreck, and later we found that he was armed and had actually pointed a gun at some of the folks that, that he had hit along the way. I don't know if they caught him or not, but they said as he took off running that he looked back. Anytime we look back, it's going to slow us down. Look what he says right here in chapter 3 of Colossians. Here's some things that will slow us down along the way. He says mortify. That means put to death. That means put aside, put off. He says, uh, he, he mentions some real big things here. He says put aside things like this. Fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence covetous or idolatry, which is idolatry. You may say, well, I don't struggle with those things. And, and so I'm off the hook. There's not anything that I'm going to have to put aside. And then he comes down and he says uh, right here in verse eight, he says, but also he says, put these things aside because these things will slow you down in the race. He says, now put off all these, put off anger, put off wrath, Put off malice, put off blasphemy, put off filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. He says, uh, put off these old things. He says, put off the deeds of the old man. And he says, and put on the new man. And I think it's really important right here to realize that if there's some things in our life that we see in our life that we need to put aside or put off, that it's really important right here. You know, some folks, you may be involved in this as well. Some folks, some folks believe in uh, meditation and, and, and things like that. And just uh, emptying self out and, and, uh, and kind of zoning out. It's all right to empty out. But the scriptures say that as you empty out, you better put something good in its place. Because if you don't put something good in its place, Satan's liable to come along and put something bad in there that's worse than what you took out of it. And so he says right here, he says, you put off some things, but he says right after you put it off, immediately after you put it off, he says, you put on some things in its place. He says, you put on as the elect of God, bowels of mercies. He says, put on kindness, put on humbleness of mind. Put on meekness. Here's another one that's hard. Put on long suffering. That just simply means suffer long. Put on forbearing one another. Put on forgiving one another. He says, if any man have a quarrel against any, even so uh, as Christ forgave you, you do also. He says, he says, for forbearing one another, forgiving one another. He says, if a man have a quarrel against one. As Christ forgave you, so do ye also. I was I was recently looking at uh, I'm always interested in 
in the lives of 100-year-olds and 90-year-olds, and I was, I was looking at this research that had been done on 90-year-olds and 100-year-olds, and they're interviewing this lady that's 107 years old, still living in her own home, still cooking and, and very um, active in her mind and in her body. And they said, they said, what do you attribute it to? And she said, well, uh, I'm not sure, but she says, one thing is I don't hold grudges. She says, I just do not hold grudges. She says, maybe I should sometimes, but I don't. She said, I started out holding grudges. And she said, then I went so long that I forgot what, I was, what the grudge was that I was supposed to hold. And she said, I found out that, that holding a grudge only hurt me. It didn't hurt anybody else. And she said, so I don't hold grudges. You can Google it yourself and, and hear it. It was, it was very interesting of the things that, that, that 90 and 100 year olds had in common. Well, he says, put off some things, put on some things in their place. So, and and he says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you're called and be ye thankful. We are to be a thankful people. No matter what our station or experience is in life, we can't go wrong with a thankful heart. We ought to always be thankful, not just when times are good, when things are going well, but even when times are difficult, we still need to be thankful that God has promised that he's going to give us grace to get through any difficult and challenging times. So, so the second one is simply this. Lay aside anything that's going to hinder you. He says the weight and the sin. Lay aside. Look at your life. Ask God to show you. Go down and write things down. I like to take a, a ledger pad and, and uh, uh, probably could relate to Jared a little bit here. I write things down. Sometimes I'll put a, sometimes I'll even do it an old fashioned way. I'll put a pros and a cons. I'll put a plus and a minus and write those things down. And when you write them down and look at them, then you can say, Lord, if there's some of these things that need to be taken from my life, you bless me to do it. And then you put immediately, you put something good in place of what you take out. Very important. You don't just take it out, empty your mind and just be there. You put something good in it and God will bless you for doing it. The third one, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us is the second. And then he says, let us run this race with patience. I'm just going to touch on a few things right here that I see in this, and I hope that it will be a blessing to you. Number one, you might get excited about the race, and you may want to set your pace at a 10. But if you do, that's not realistic to finish the race. The purpose is not to be the first one to get to the finish line. The purpose of the race, as he describes it here, is to finish it. To finish it just as committed as you are when you start the race and at every stage in between. There's different stages in our life. There is. I realize that at 61 years old, I can't do what I did at 40 or 50. And I realize that if I'm going to finish the course, I've got to be mindful, not only of the starting point, but the finishing point as well. 
at different stages of our life, we're to be mindful. And he's talking about when he says with patience right here, he's saying, set the pace that's going to allow you to finish the course. Let me say this. Every single stage of that race, you've probably you've probably gone to or been involved in races or witnessed, and they'll have a first section or a second section or a third section. Maybe somebody will give them a bottle of water along the way or, 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 or holler out some encouraging comments along the way. But every single stage of this race, whether it's parenting, whether it's older folks, is equally as important. It's just as important that we finish the race faithful as it is at any other time in our life. Brother Zach Guest has said many times, he said, Brother Stephen, he says, I pray, he's now 81, 82 years old, he says, I pray that God will bless me to finish my course and still honoring the Lord. So, here's how it's written in, uh, I, I love this this uh, lesson right here in uh, Galatians chapter 6. He says, let us not be weary in well-doing. I tell you what, it's reality. Even Christians become weary along the way. Even Christians get discouraged. I hear of and I know of ministers that have gotten discouraged and they pitch in the towel. He says right here that we're not to be weary in well-doing. I was visiting with a lady yesterday and she told me, she said, I've just... I, she said, my, at my work, it was a lady at Hepsba House, and she said, I've just, there's just so much going on with the changes and with the new requirements. And she says, I, I'm just overwhelmed. And I said, I've got a really good verse for you. I said, go over and look at Psalm 61, verse 2. that says, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. I said, that's going to help you keep from getting overwhelmed and discouraged along the way. And also, I think a couple weeks ago, we preached the the message about uh, Psalm 31, where it says, my times are in thy hands to realize that all of our times are in the hands of God. That will encourage us to to not get weary along the way. But we're, we're going to get weary along the way if we turn around and we look behind us. We're going to get weary along the way if we begin to look at self. But if we get weary along the way, then he tells us the solution right here. He says, you don't look behind you. You don't look at yourself. You look at the Lord and that's going to keep you from getting weary along the way. So in order to run the race and finish your course with patience, you do it looking Unto the Lord. He says, and let us not be weary in well doing. He says, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not.
we always would like the harvest to come soon. My stepfather and I put a garden in, and uh, and, uh, and 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 we got little tomato tomatoes on the vine and little banana peppers that are there. And, and you get so excited when you can begin to see the fruit and realize that there's going to be some fruit along the way. Well, he's saying right here, he says, you persevere along the way. And he says, you're going to see some fruit when you do that. He says, don't be weary and well-doing, but you continue on and you persevere. And then he says, and this is one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite verses in the scriptures. I want to explain it. I love this verse. I believe this verse. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. He just simply says right here, we ought to be looking for opportunities in our life. In every respect, we ought to be looking for opportunities. Now, You can get to the point that you're so programmed looking for opportunities that you might think everything's an opportunity. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. So in a case like that, you you pray, God, if this is an opportunity that you have put before me, you open my eyes and you show me this. But God, I want to pray that if this is not of you, that you close the door. And I tell you, I've lived long enough that I can truthfully say that I am as thankful for open doors as I am for closed doors. I can look back upon my life and I can see areas that the Lord closed the door. And when he did, and I knew it was the Lord, I was just as thankful and maybe more so than if the door was opened. So be thankful when God opens and when he closes doors and give him all the praise for that. When you look back over your life, you can see that if the door had been opened and God had allowed you to go through it, it might not have been for his glory and it certainly wouldn't have been for your good. So pray that God will show you opportunities and be of the mindset that when he shows you opportunities, that you go through those opportunities and you honor him with that. But also pray that he show you whether it's an opportunity or if he is to close the door and he'll make it plain to you. And the way will be right when he shows you. So the last one here. Well, before I touch on the last one, just just have a few minutes here. I want to I think this is important for us. I think this this point is important to realize. He says, let us run the race. And he describes the race this way. I think this is real important to us right here. He says, let us run the race with patience. And he describes it this way. He says, the race that is set before you. Did you know that that is the very life that you're in right now? The race that is set before you is the sphere of people that God has blessed you to be an influence in, in their lives. It may be teaching in the classroom, Sister Elsa. It may be at Aberdeen Proving Ground, Brother David. The race that is set before you is where you are right now. 
I have come to believe this verse right here. In Esther, Mordecai, the Jews were about to be annihilated, and Esther was put in position to have an opportunity to have an audience with the king and to make a difference. And Mordecai went to Esther and he said this. Esther had all kinds of apprehensions. And she said, I don't really think I want to go before the king. Because if I go before the king and he's having a bad day, my life may be on the line. And I really don't think I want to go before the king. And Mordecai returns and he says this to Esther. And I believe that this was certainly meant for Esther. But I believe it's for you and I as well. He said to Esther, he says, who knoweth? But what thou art here for such a time as this. I believe that every single one of us ought to look at our life and realize that we're here for a purpose. God is a God of purpose and God has a purpose in his people. And you have a purpose here and you'll have a purpose all the way until the Lord takes you on home to glory. I've heard old sisters say when I'd go to the hospital to see them, they'd say, I don't know why I'm still around here. I'm not any good for anybody. And I wish that I could just go on and be with the Lord. And, and I understand that wanting to go and be with the Lord. But Paul tells us in, in uh, Philippians, he says, he says, as for me, he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, which he says is far better. But he said, I'm still here. And he says, I figured out that the reason that I'm here is because it's more needful for you. Paul says, as far as I'm concerned, I'm out of here. I want to go on and be with the Lord. That's my personal preference. That's my personal desire. But I'm still here. And the reason that God's kept me here is for you. So if God still kept you here, he has a purpose in keeping you here. You're not here by accident. He's got a purpose in keeping you here. And it's to be an encouragement to the, to the Lord's people and to honor the Lord. So I believe when he says right here, run with patience the race that is set before us. I believe that it is a particular race in our individual lives that God has for each one of us here. The journey is different for everybody. The turns along the way are different. The hills... The valleys, the obstacles are different for everybody. But the principles in running the race are the same. And then he says, when you're running that race and you get discouraged, you get disheartened. Maybe you're disheartened with your children, your grandchildren, relatives, friends. When you get disheartened and discouraged and you get weary along the way as you're running this race, he says, don't stop. Don't look back. You think about those faithful witnesses that God's put in your path. You remove any hindrances along the way. You pace yourself to finish the course. And if you get weary along the way, if there's something that comes in to hinder you in the journey, if the mountain gets too high, if the valley gets too low, he says, then you look to Jesus and Jesus will help you get to the finish line. And then Jesus is going to take you on home to glory. On this life, we're running a race. The, the goal is not to win heaven itself. But it's to honor the Lord in the journey. And every stage of it is super important. 
And God is in charge and God will see us through. And we've been given the promise that his grace is sufficient for our needs. No matter what they are, his grace is sufficient for us. So four things. Look at those faithful witnesses. They'll encourage you. Look at those that you've known in your life. I've, I thought of Brother Stamper. I thought of Oris Jackson. I thought of so many faithful witnesses. You look at the faithful witnesses. You lay aside any hindrances along the way. You pace yourself to finish the journey. You realize that the journey is set by the Lord and that you're here for a purpose. And then when you get discouraged along the way, you just simply remember to look to Christ. And he'll help you all the way to the finish line. That's some tips that's given to us. In running this race. May God bless you.